Did you know Leonardo da Vinci was as much an engineer as he was an artist? Da Vinci's paintings displayed remarkable anatomical accuracy influenced by his scientific study of human cadavers. Similarly, his inventions and scientific observations informed his artistic works. Welcome to episode six of Smarter Together. Today, we have a very special guest. I'd like to welcome Spencer Saunders, the president of Art and Science. Phase five has been fortunate to collaborate with Art and Science to help our client KFF, Knowledge First Financial, an educational savings and planning company, along their journey to their rebranding as Embark. And between Art and Science and Phase Five, we share the perspective that there is power in research, providing data-driven insights into branding, communication, and design strategies. But welcome, Spence. Very happy to have you today. Thank you so much. And just to get started today, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit of background about you as well as the work that you do at Art and Science. Sure. So I've been in the advertising and marketing sort of world for about 20 years. Art and Science is 10 years old, and we uh, describe ourselves as being a digital first agency, but really have evolved to offer a, a fairly comprehensive, uh, integrated marketing and, and branding set of services. And, you know, I think what's been interesting over the last, say, five years uh, is that as the world has gotten a lot more digital, our scope has really uh, expanded almost by demand to include more of sort of the traditional brand strategy engagements as companies look to brand and rebrand. I think uh, transformation is obviously a a hot topic today. You know, if you're going to work with an agency, you want to work with somebody who understands the digital landscape. The notion that software is eating the planet, it's probably a 20-year-old expression, is more true today than it ever has been. So that's us uh, in a nutshell. Thank you so much for summarizing and completely support what you just said and agree. Spence, my first question for you is, how do we solve for the Henry Ford problem? And that problem is, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I think I think it's at the crux of the challenge of, of truly of innovation at large, right? Because I think anything that is truly innovative is unrecognizable. And I think that's what that expression, that Henry Ford sort of aphorism is meant to, to, to sort of encapsulate. Nobody had the concept of a car prior to, prior to it being in existence. And so its application to branding, I think, is that when we think about a, a company, let's say, you know, a, re, a rebrand notion, usually most companies are rebranding um, because either their product or service offering is changing or they themselves want to move their own perception in the market, right? They're literally mm-hmm. trying to move from one place to another in the hearts and minds of consumers. And so to ask the market, you know, straight up, do I have permission to play here? Or is this what you want? Is usually a bad question, right? People are really not great at telling us what it is they want and need. Uh, And I think, you know, phase five from a research perspective has seen this probably more times than you can count. People will say one thing and do another. And so I think that this is, is at the crux of how do we get through that and, and what are the better questions that we need to ask in order to figure out how we move beyond or get ourselves out of that just taking orders sort of notion from the consumer. I'm curious, when clients seek uniqueness, what methods or strategies can we employ to really validate a unique offering that would be well-received 
by the market? Yeah, so I think the idea that every brand has a position in the market and that it's carved out for itself, right? If it's successful, if it's sustaining, clearly there's a market indication that it's been well-received. If you're going to change that uh, and you're going to substantively change your service offering as a consequence, or if that's what's sort of motivating the shift in brand, the first step usually for us is the question of, does this brand have permission to play in this new space? You know, clearly the, the organization has indicated that there might be some, some white space uh, over in this corner, an opportunity that they want to capitalize on. But does this brand really have the breadth in, in, in the uh, mental space that it occupies in the hearts and minds of consumers and customers to have permission to move in that direction? Right? I think mm-hmm. that's sort of one, one set of questions that we see. I think another is... You know, are the attributes of this brand and how they've been historically described, are these adequate to describe this new offering? Do, the, do consumers, when they hear core elements of this brand as we describe it, does that evoke the right mental model or emotions that we're trying to get at, at, at the crux of it? And oftentimes we're doing this sort of through the components of a brand. We're not necessarily testing the the uh, fully complete brand because it's in the process of developing the brand that we're doing a lot of this combination of both qualitative and qualitative research with folks like yourselves. Excellent. And that's what I was going to get to next was really talking about assessing that intuitive and emotional aspect and thinking about the positioning of both qualitative and quantitative insights. And so when you're thinking about the emotional aspects, how do you really validate that? How do you go about thinking about that? I know that's a very hard question to answer, but from your perspective? Well, I mean, that's when really we reach out to folks like you. I mean, we we reach out to folks like phase five and usually at this point, we're looking for uh, qualitative methods um, where we're using uh, oftentimes sort of emotive language, and, but text-based descriptions to try and test different formulations. So if we're talking about, you know, uh, an overall brand strategy, what type of archetype does this particular brand persona embody and what is going to be most resonant with the market? So in a case where, uh, you know, let's say we're dealing with a financial services brand, is the brand emotion and sort of persona that we want this brand to evoke one of a family member, one of a trusted advisor in a more professional services capacity? Is it more of a coach, somebody who's got a bit of a closer personal relationship with the consumer? When we start to ask questions around this and we start to use some sort of emotive language, we're asking these consumers in these sessions often, you know, how does this sit with you? And oftentimes what you can find are what I call the sort of guardrails. People will tell you, I feel comfortable with this articulation of this persona. I do not feel comfortable with this particular articulation of the persona as it relates to this service offering. Right. So you can start to test out different components. And, and I wouldn't say mix and match, but it's more around how do you develop what seemingly has resonated well with the test group from a qualitative, more conversational type of interview methodology? And how do you then sort of weave that back into a cohesive brand story that touches on the points that you found were most resonant and downplays or entirely mitigates the elements that they were perhaps less positive uh, or downright negative towards? What essential elements or factors are necessary for conducting effective testing to really validate brand strategies and positioning? Well, first, I think you need to know who do you believe your customer is or is going to be, 
right? I think that's the other side of when we're talking often about, you know, branding or rebranding comes at points of change where you're looking to sort of introduce something to the market. So understanding who your end customer is, and even if you've got different segments, ensuring that at least you're getting those different voices uh, in the room uh, as part of the the overall exercise of, of, of the research methodology. I think that's really, really critical. Um, I think the other element is really understanding what it is you're trying to achieve. It is not a check mark. It is not a complete buy-in, right? Like I think that it, it's a hugely important that you're looking at, you know, a brand architecture and, a, and an overall brand strategy and definition through its contingent parts, and then working at the different elements of it at different levels, saying, you know, these are the particular emotive benefits, and this is how we describe them. Does this appeal? Is this something that resonates with you? And again, looking at then cross-sectioning that against the different segments of your customer base, I think are really, really critical in understanding the level of nuance and how you dial this up. There is no hard science, right, to branding. There just isn't. It has to be a combination of the analytical and emotional. And so I think that that's really, really important to just ensure that you're covering your bases from that perspective and know what it is you're looking for going into those uh, sessions or, or, or research methods. Another question I have for you, just from your perspective, is how do better insights help build more successful brands? Yeah, so I think I, I think I think honestly, it helps brands avoid sort of the pitfalls or potholes mm. of what happens when you come to market with something that hasn't been well validated or well researched. I certainly have seen numerous times where, even the core brand story in the advertising that's being put out to market, if it doesn't make sense, if people can't literally understand your service offering, you might have a bit of a blind spot in your overall brand articulation and how that's coming to market. And, and you know, to be clear, there's always, of course, the difference between the brand and the advertising and how the advertising, you know, is leaping off from that brand. But certainly I've seen instances in the market where uh, you know, you can sit there and go, you didn't understand your target market very well, or you didn't really validate that the way in which you're trying to describe yourself, oftentimes motivated to be different, right? To be different for the sake of being different does not guarantee you a home run, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's to be different and understood. That's the sweet spot, right? That's absolutely the holy grail. Um, but it is a sweet spot to hit, and, and it does require, I think, that that level of rigor uh, in the in the research and the validation uh, at the early stages of a brand development to ensure that you're you're able to capture that. Absolutely, Vince. In what ways can better insights into customer needs and preferences help brands differentiate themselves in a crowded marketplace? We used to have this sort of daily exercise at Art and Science, and it was called Problem of the Day. And the idea is that if you move through the world being attuned and listening for challenges, problems, points of friction, that every single one of those is an opportunity to deliver value by way of a solution for which a brand can have a a very strong sort of presence and role in. And the exercise for us, you know, as an agency was more around developing the muscle of, of observing, right, of paying attention, of listening and, 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 and watching for those pain points. But I think that if you're going to go into to any kind of market research and customer engagement, particularly where you're at uh, such a fertile space of developing a brand or a rebrand, 
that you are going to hear some adjacent pain points for which may become entirely new opportunities, right, to leverage or exploit. And it depends, I think, for the for the brand and sort of how broad or how niche and focused they're trying to develop their particular offering is. But I think that, you know, convening a group of ideal customers in a room to talk about what would resonate with them and where even their pain points exist within a particular category or service sector, those are massive fertile spaces to be mined for further insights that it may not become a, 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 a discrete service offering, but knowing the mind of a consumer, knowing what those pain points are, are only going to help you develop empathetically, compassionately, and human-centrically, which I think is huge, mm. right? At the core of all customer and, and experience design is empathy. It is the single greatest power, I think, that marketers, branding specialists, designers at large can leverage to enable uh, you know, a great brand experiences because, because it is through that that you say, yes, I understand you, I know what your day-to-day looks like, and, and, and that provides me fodder or insight to develop better customer experiences, whether they're at the sort of top of the mountain brand level, or they're more on the front lines of the sort of day-to-day uh, of the brand experience and whatever the product or service offering might be. My next question for you is, how do you see customer experience to be a measurement of how successful companies are in delivering on their brand promise? Oh, yeah. So, you know, as I sort of mentioned off the top, software is eating the world. More and more brand experiences uh, start and end in the digital space. And I think that from a brand perspective, the expression of that brand, therefore, has to be embodied in the nature of the experience design of what those digital products are. So in Canada, for example, uh, you know, just to make a reference here, Wealth Simple was sort of, you know, in the branding space was sort of the bee's knees for like five years, right? Every client we would run into, uh, we talk about, you know, what a, what a, a great brand experience from a digital product standpoint might look like. Everybody wanted to reference Wealth Simple. And I get it, right? It was a really great encapsulation of the brand notion of keeping it simple, of taking what and looking at what the general product offering in the market was from the big banks and the other sort of investment firms, taking a look at their digital product offering and saying, this is highly complex. It's relatively inaccessible, right? It's kind of intimidating. Let's go the exact opposite direction, right? And they did that and they did that very, very well and very, very successfully. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a, a really simple case in point, but I think that the other side of it is that what they recognized is that for the most part, branding is emotional first and analytical second. As humans, we are emotional beings. We do not operate at all on purely uh, deterministic or rational tracks or behaviors, right? So, you know, I think that that's something to always keep in mind around from a brand experience standpoint, how does every single touch point? make somebody feel. And I think where, uh, I think my final sort of thought on this is that a a lot of great customer experience as a point of differentiation really comes from the core of a brand definition, be its values. Values drive behaviors, right? If you cannot, if you can look at a behavior within a, a company and call it a, you know, the customer service line of whatever your product and service is, do their behaviors, the way they talk to customers, 
the kinds of recommendations they're making or advice that they're giving, is that in line with the definition of values we have at the brand perspective? And if the answer is no, then there's a misalignment. Either the brand values are wrong because the organization is clearly evoking a set of behaviors that don't align with those brand values, or, and more likely than not, the frontline worker is not evoking, is not living the brand values as defined by that organization. There's probably something operational from a training perspective, right, that, that needs to be uh, a gap that needs to be bridged there. But that's where I see sort of the connective tissue in terms of the effort and investment in the foundation of what and how we set a brand and how it translates all the way down through the customer experience right to sort of the frontline worker who might just be fielding a, a customer complaint. In your opinion, Spence, how can a strong focus on customer experience contribute to the long-term success and sustainability of a brand? I mean, as a brand strategist, I can define the most evocative and emotional brand in the world. But if the customer experience coming out of that fails to deliver against that promise, there's not much I can do about it. And I can guarantee you that, that brand will not be successful. Right. I think that mm -hmm. uh, so often, um, you know, starting from 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 the brand definition standpoint, um, we are operating uh, operating from a place of, of sort of optimism, uh, operating from a place of ideals. But those ideals are only as sort of valid or as efficacious as the expression of that brand downstream. Right. So does the website and the copy on that website evoke the spirit of the brand that we define? That website is a customer experience. It is a massive touch point, right, for most brands today. Uh, that, as I talked about, the digital product offering. So if you're in the financial services game and you've got an app or you've got a portal or you've got something that the customer is going to interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, probably uh, an order of magnitude more often than another human, right, you need to embed humanity into that customer experience to ensure that long-term viability and success because eventually, right, bad customer experiences will, will destroy a brand. As, as strong as a brand can be defined, could you, I mean, can you imagine if, if Nike just made really crappy shoes, right? They would not be able to live up to the brand promise of, of being a high-performance athletic company for the masses, right? Because it's not high-performance. And so, you know, you have to look at, I think, through the holistic lens that looks at every possible touch point downstream uh, because it's easy to define sort of ideals in a boardroom. What gets really difficult is ensuring that those ideals are then translated into all the different expressions and touch points of the brand uh, as it moves through the world because that's really where the rubber hits the road. Do you have any final thoughts before we conclude today that you'd want to share with our listeners in relation to the importance of insights for building successful brands? Um, you know, I just, I want to double down on, on the idea that, that humans are an emotional bunch first, an analytical bunch second, and that I think what we're seeing at large, we're, you know, 20 years into the sort of design thinking, user-centric design sort of trend at large. And I think that for everybody who is considering branding and, and positioning, you know, lead with empathy and emotion first. Because the, at the end of the day, it's that's that's going to capture the hearts and minds of consumers. Follow up with the analytical, right? You have to ensure absolutely that what you're saying is true from a data perspective. But I think leading with emotion and empathy uh, is really where the future of customer experience design 
uh, is going uh, and really the future of branding as well. Thank you so much, Spence, for your time today and for sharing some really valuable insights and perspectives. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And I just want to thank you again. And for all of our listeners out there, if you have any questions for Spence, uh, you can feel free to reach out to us and we can pass along Spence's contact information. And if you have any suggestions for a topic that you're interested in phase five covering on this podcast, feel free to reach out on our question box on our website or to send us an email. Spence, thank you again so much. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. You as well. Thank you. Thank you.